for joining us today at Launch Point Church in Lebanon, Tennessee. We believe the Bible is the written word of God without error and useful for every part of our lives. We believe that through learning and teaching of the word, others might come to know God, find freedom, discover their purpose, and make a difference. Thanks. I'm going to get straight to it today. I'm going to spend two weeks talking about a, I hate to even call it a series because it's only two weeks, titled Generation to Generation, A Legacy of Faith. We have to both give and receive the legacy of faith that God has placed in us. Amen? We are responsible as older people to transfer our understanding and be the example to the younger generation. And the younger generation is responsible for stewarding that which they're taught according to the word of God. Everybody all right? Let me tell you something. I think the church largely is suffering for multiple reasons. But one of those significant reasons is for some reason our youth are leaving youth ministry and disappearing. And many of them aren't coming back to church until they're 30 plus years old. And so you got to ask yourself, if that's the truth, and it is according to the statistic, why? Here's why, I think. I think they find, they come out of youth, they walk into the sanctuary, and they don't recognize the church they grew up in. They're entertained in their youth. They aren't given a good theological foundation in their youth. And so when they step out of youth and into adult services, it's so foreign to them, it confuses them, and in their confusion, they leave. Let me tell you, Launch Point Church intends for that to never happen. When we first started the church, I went to the youth and I told them, they said, what's the vision for the youth? And first off, I told them, let me tell you, we have one vision, that's a vision for the church. Let me tell you what I want the youth to look like, though. I want the youth to produce a theologically sound graduate of high school moving into either college or the or the workspace that can defend their faith no matter what environment they're in. That's all I want because I think that's all that God wants from us is to be so founded in the truth, so have such an understanding of what truth is that we're able to defend it to those that we come into contact with, regardless of what age we are. Amen? But the church is failing. Here's why I think so. There's an old Indian story, an old Indian tradition. It's not a story. And there were two, in an in a Indian, Plains Indian society, there were two kinds of men. There were warriors and hunters, and there were grandfathers. The warriors and hunters did exactly what you would think they'd do. They got on their horseback, and they rode into battle or rode into the hunt, and then came back after that was done, got off of their horse, walked into the tent where the grandfather sat at the campfire, and then counseled with that grandfather. 
And so where they had fought, where they had hunted, they moved off of their horse, took counsel of the older folks to find out what could have been done better and what they could have done in a way that was more productive. That's what we need in the church today. We need men who understand that their place is on a horseback or their place is in front of the campfire, explaining to those on horseback what they could be doing differently. Let me tell you, our world would look a whole lot different if older men acknowledged that they were older men, if older women acknowledged that they were older women. We're going to talk about this a little next week, but it says that older women should be an example to younger women. You want to know why younger women aren't acting like younger women should act according to Scripture? Because older women aren't willing to admit they're older women, and so they're still acting, dressing, and talking like younger women. A lot of silence in this room. But it's true. Same thing for men. Boys are acting like boys long past the point that they should be boys and start acting like men because men haven't shown them what manhood looks like. Hasn't challenged them in front of the campfire to say, that which you're doing could be done better. Don't do that. No longer do that. Glorify God with your life. Whatever the issue is. And so we have a responsibility one to the other. There's a responsibility of the young to the old and the older to the young. I made a statement in Father's Day, in my Father's Day sermon. Actually, it wasn't in the sermon. It was just on Father's Day. And I said this, and it's haunted me since then. It may be where this birthed from. It says that older men seek purpose, find their purpose, in younger men, and younger men find direction in older men. Did you hear that? If you're not living your age, then the people around you are either doing without purpose or without direction. That's pretty significant indictment. Here's what I've come to learn. I'm not a horseman anymore. And that frustrates me, man. <laughs> there was a time in my life when I was a relatively dangerous individual. I am not any longer. I am older. <laughs> right? I'm not old. I'm older. There's an old movie. It's a Navy SEAL movie. And in this movie, the, there's a guy who is going into combat, wrote a handwritten letter to his son, who was like five years old, and gave it to his combat buddy, which is pretty regular practice in combat environments. And he said, if, if I don't make it through this fight, I need you to take this letter and read it to my son. And there was a line in that man that just cut me to the quick. He said, he's talking to his son, he said, my greatest fear is that I am no longer considered dangerous by young men. That used to be my greatest fear, that I would get some place in my life where I was no longer considered dangerous to young men. Why do I tell you that? For this reason. Moving from the horseback to the campfire didn't make me less dangerous. It made me dangerous different. 
sitting by that campfire instead of on that horseback, I could tell the guy on horseback, listen, if you'll draw your sword like this, you'll be more effective. If you wear your armor like this, you'll be more effective. If you ride your saddle like this, you'll be more effective. Do you know why I know that? Because experience has taught me those things. So, man, Pastor Jim, you're telling a lot of stories today. I'm telling a lot of stories because they have significant spiritual implications. I almost said amplification, but I don't know what that is. They have pretty significant spiritual implications. We are to older people be an example to younger people. But younger people are to be dangerous as younger people as we used to be. Amen? Here's the problem. You're fighting a fight like we've never fought before. When I say younger, I mean, according to Scripture, younger, the Greek would have understood the word younger to mean 35 or less. So if you're 35 or under, I'm talking to you. And so when, I, when I'm talking about younger, I'm telling you, you younger people, 35 and less, are in a different fight than I've ever known. In my mind, our society changed as a whole September 11, 2001. Everything changed then. I can remember a time in my life where you could kind of trust government, where you could kind of trust finance, where you could kind of trust what authority and leadership and even pastors told you. But I can tell you since September September 11, 2001, that's not been so much the case for you guys. You've had to ask yourself, is that even true? More than I ever had to when I was your age. Because the media lies to you, the government lies to you, the preacher lies to you, everyone is willing to deceive you. And so I want to take a few moments and tell you the truth about who you should be as younger people, as, a, as declared by the Word of God. And I'm going to do that starting in Timothy chapter 4. Let me tell you the fight that Timothy was in. Timothy was in a fight against false teachers. And so Paul wrote this letter of encouragement to tell him, fight the good fight. And he told him this, starting in verse 6, he said, First thing I want you to do is teach them to be good servants. Remember, Timothy was the pastor of the Ephesian church at this time. He said, teach them to be good servants. In the pointing out of these things to the brethren, you will be a good servant of Christ Jesus, constantly nourished on the words of the faith and of the sound doctrine which you have been following. Can I tell you, you can't be a good servant of Christ Jesus unless you are nourished by the Word of God. 
unless you open up your word daily and read it and dissect it and ask for revelation and seek wisdom and counsel because that is what the word is good for. The word is good for all things. Let me let me prove this to you. First or second Timothy 3:16 reads like this. All scripture, everybody say all is inspired by God, which means he breathed it by his spirit and is profitable, which means it's good for the purpose of teaching, reproof, correction, and training in righteousness. Let me tell you what that means. Teaching what is right. Reproof what is not right. Correction, how to get it right. Righteousness, how to stay right. So let me tell you, the word of God breathed by God is good because it teaches you what's right, what's not right, how to get it right, and how to stay right. And let me tell you, if you will involve yourself in the word of God and commit yourself to involving yourself in being nourished daily by the word of God, you will be everything God called you to be. And then he tells him something else in the next verse. He says, be a man of discipline. Seven and eight reads like this, but have nothing to do with worldly fables fit only for old women. On the other hand, discipline yourself for the purpose of godliness. For bodily discipline is only of little profit, but godliness is profitable for all things since it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. A man must be a man, a woman must be a woman of discipline with godliness as the goal. What's the goal? Godliness. What does that mean? Pastor Jim, can you just tell me what godliness is? It means looking like Jesus. You need to look like Jesus. The Bible says if you call yourself a Christian, you ought to do what? You ought to walk as Christ walked. And so I'm, I'm asking myself, what does discipline look like? How am I supposed to discipline myself? What, what am I supposed to consider in regard to the way that I live? Live like Jesus. And then finally he tells him to fix his hope. In verse 10, he says, For it is for those we labor and strive because we have fixed our hope on the living God who is the Savior of all men, especially of believers. He says, listen, be a good servant, be a person of discipline, but none of that's going to be possible if you don't fix your hope on Jesus. If you don't realize that your hope is set, fix your hope on Jesus. Amen? But you're a young man. Timothy probably would have been somewhere around 35 when this happened when this letter was written to him. But I will tell you that Paul used him to help administrate his ministry as early as 16 years of age. I want you to think about that. Paul trusted a 16-year-old to help him with ministry. Young people, you can be and should be trusted with ministry to show people that they are to be good servants constantly nourished on the word of God, to be disciplined so that they might achieve godliness, so that their focus may be on their hope, which is Christ Jesus. Amen? But how does he do that? Because ultimately the world looks down on the young. I got to be honest with you. You 18 years old, you ain't getting much street cred with a 50-year-old man. Am I right? 
Yeah, I'm right. Some of y'all old people wondering what street cred is, right? Y'all know I was gangster like that. So he had a fight to fight. And so Paul gave him some advice to consider while he taught these things. And this is what he said in verse 12. Let no one look down on your youthfulness, but rather in speech, conduct, love, faith, and purity, show yourself an example of those who believe. He said, listen, if you're going to teach these things as a young man, if you don't want them to look down on you because you're young, write you off because you're young, say that you're not good enough because you're young, then you need to be the example you're supposed to be. You know what example you're supposed to be? You're supposed to be an example of Jesus. Paul said himself in 1 Corinthians 4, 16, Therefore I urge you to imitate me. Use me as an example. Now let me tell you, that's, that's a lot of brass right there. For Paul to stand up and say, I want you to imitate me. How could he say such a thing? That's bold, man. He could say such a thing because he was, with every fiber of his being, imitating Jesus. You want to be an example worth following? Follow the best example that you have, which is Jesus. Read your word. How do you even know what Jesus looks like if you don't read your word? You all, oh, Pastor Jim, you'll tell me. Faith comes by hearing. It does come by hearing. Let me tell you. The gospel will provoke your faith until salvation. That's what Paul said. I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for gospel is the power of what? Salvation. But let me tell you, there's revelation in the word that needs to come from the word. You get that word deep-seated by studying it, by reading it, by meditating it, by praying over it. There's a reason why I ask for wisdom and revelation every time I open up this Bible because I need God to give me wisdom and revelation, not just of the gospel, but everything the gospel includes and my responsibility to it. Amen? So young people, don't despise, don't let them despise you because you're young. Stand up. But if you're going to stand, you better be the example that you're called to be. And that example isn't the guy next door or whatever, the example is Jesus. Now find the person that looks the most like Jesus in your life and follow that guy. Everybody okay? All right, Joe. You're being awful yelly. Yes, because we have to imitate Jesus. He, the writer of Hebrews says, remember those who led you, who spoke the word of God to you, and considering the result of their conduct, Imitate their faith. Stand up. Be an example. But imitate faith that's worthy of imitating. I'm pleading with you. Man, I'm pleading with you. I want to break the, just shake the, the dust of mediocrity off of the church. We have we have become comfortable with not being amazed by God. And our lack of amazement has caused us to be mediocre at best. We can do better. 
not only am I talking to the youth, I'm talking to you old folks. Older folks. Because they need a Paul to imitate. Amen? So how do you find one? How do you find a grandfather to sit around a campfire with? I'm going to make this really simple for you. Write this down. Watch someone's life and then ask them if you could follow them. Pastor Rick, many of y'all know Pastor Rick and I go way back. Not long after I got saved, my pastor taught me to love God and that he declared the gospel to me. It was by his testimony that the Spirit provoked me to salvation, and I praise God for him and his life. But Pastor Rick taught me how to love the Word and to love ministry and to love people. He was a campfire grandfather to me. Do you know how I got that grandfather? I asked him to teach me what he knew. Here's the thing that most young people miss. It's not our responsibility to hunt you down and ask you to follow me. It's your responsibility because I can't give you what you don't want. Nobody ever spends any time with me. Well, when you show up three minutes after service starts and leave right when it's over, when is anybody ever supposed to ask you to help? Or when, when are you available to ask anybody else for help? Ask somebody, will you be a grandfather to me? And then follow them. There's an old rabbinic proverb that says, Follow so closely behind your rabbi that you are covered in the dust of their feet. And that's what I committed to do. I think Pastor Rick would tell you that. That I followed him so closely that I was covered in the dust of his feet. I followed him so closely there was no space between he and I for me to do anything stupid without him seeing it and me giving him permission to to tell me to stop. And let me tell you, there was a lot of opportunity for that. Right, Pastor Rick? Come on, man. <laughs> I was really expecting, no, it wasn't that bad. But it was that bad. You got to find a grandfather, young people, here's why. Because you show me five of your closest friends and I'll show you who you'll be in a year if you're not that person already. Man, I want to be so-and-so. You can't be rich if you're hanging out with poor people. You can't be righteous if you're intentionally hanging out with sinners and doing sinner stuff. Here's what the Bible says, Proverbs 13, 20. He who walks with the wise will be wise, but the companion of fools will suffer harm. How many of you guys would like some wisdom? Man, let me tell you, young or old, you all raise your hand. Let me tell you what wisdom isn't. 
Some of you have heard me say this before. Wisdom isn't knowledge. I know a bunch of really smart idiots. Y'all do too. You wouldn't have laughed. Like I guarantee when I said it, there's a face popped up in your head. I pray it wasn't mine. But it's not just knowledge. It's knowledge and perspective and experience. You know why I follow Pastor Rick? Because he has wisdom of knowledge, perspective, and experience. He's seen more life than me. He's dealt with more issues than me. He's overcome more stuff than me. And because of all of those things, I know that the wisdom that he has to offer me can make me as wise as he is. Or maybe even point me in a direction to be more wise than he is. So that ultimately, I might be an example to the next generation coming up. Y'all hearing me, young people? Are y'all hearing me, old pe- older people? All right. I got to tell you, I'm one of those older people, man. I'm, I'll be 52 in August. Some of y'all are thinking, you're a child. I appreciate that. <laughs> but scripturally, I'm an older. And so I seek wisdom. My prayer, though, is because there's always someone older, is that I'm always seeking wisdom. Amen. So he told him to be an example. The question, I guess, would be how? And Paul tells him. He said, be an example in your speech. Here's some information for you. The average American has 30 conversations a day. Your conversations will fill 600 books of 800 pages each in one year. Man, that's a lot of talking. I read a lot of books but I don't read that many books. That's a lot of information. If you're a man, you speak an average of 20,000 words a day. If you're a woman, you speak an average of 30,000 words a day. Guy was asked one time by his buddy, he said, you ever mad that your wife always gets the last word? He goes, no, I'm just glad when she finally gets to it. Come on, you know what I'm saying, dog. (laughs) But in all seriousness, every one of those words, all 600 of those books filled with 800 pages, all 30,000 or 20,000 words a day, the Bible says you will be held accountable for. I could prove that to you in Scripture, Matthew 12, 36 and 37. says, but I tell you, that every careless word that people speak, they shall give an accounting for it in the day of judgment. For by your words you will be justified, by your words you will be condemned. Keep this in mind when you say unnecessary things. James tells us in 3, 3 through 6, if you want to write that down and look it up later, that your tongue has the ability to steer your life or burn it to the ground. And let me tell you, mine has done both. Be careful of what you say. Be an example of godly speech. Because I'd much rather you be steered in the right direction than burnt to the ground. Because I promise you, whatever comes out of your mouth ain't coming back. 
no matter how mad you were, no matter how much you regret it. What falls out of the mouth stays out of the mouth. It has a tendency to destroy everything around you too. Amen. He told him, be an example. You want to make a difference at your age? Be an example in speech. But don't be an example in speech. Be an example in your conduct. That means live righteously. Because it don't matter what you say. People are watching what you do. I could tell you I love you all day, but if I mistreat you every single day, my conduct proves I didn't love you at all. One of the biggest gripes and complaints I get when I ask people to come to church, and I, I try to ask at least 10 people a week to church. I give them one of those little square come sit with me cards. And the biggest gripe that I get is I'm not going to church, Pastor. I appreciate that, but there's a bunch of hypocrites there. You know what my response to that is? You're right. And then I'm transparent with them. Can I tell you, I've been a hypocrite in that church. I knew. I even taught what it was, what we're supposed to do. And then some point in the future, I do something stupid. And technically, that makes me a hypocrite. But you know what else I am? I'm repentant. And I fall on my face before a holy God. And in reverence, I ask him to forgive me. And although I don't count on grace to sin, Grace does allow for my forgiveness. But we have to walk like we're supposed to walk. First Peter said it like this, keep your behavior excellent among the Gentiles. That is the unsaved. Why do you ask? Anybody want to know why? I'm glad you asked. So that in the thing in which they slander you as evildoers, they may because of your good deeds, your conduct, as they observe them, glorify God. We should live in such a way that other people look at us and go, man, God, God is really working in his life. Or, man, why does he act like that when the whole world's falling apart? And then they come ask you, and you get an opportunity to tell them about the gospel. Not necessarily because of what you said, but because of what you did. He continues with, be an example in love. Not love as the world defines love. These days, the world will tell you, love whatever you want. Be whatever you want. I'll tell you, there's different kinds of love in regard to Scripture. There's brotherly love. There's passionate love between a husband and a wife. But then there's a love like Christ loved us. Be an example of that kind of love. A sacrificial love. A love that doesn't consider the cost. A love that's willing to give up your rights. A love willing to walk in humility towards one another. A love willing to ask forgiveness. A love willing to forgive. This is the love that we should be exampling to other people so that they might know Christ too. Amen. Hmm. What's the second greatest commandment? First one is essentially love the Lord God with everything you got. What's the second one? Love 
It's not, though. Later on in Jesus' ministry, after he said that, in John 13, 34, he says, a new commandment I give to you. What? Here's that new commandment, that you love one another even as I have loved you, that you also love one another. Can I tell you there's a huge gulf between me loving you like I love myself and me loving you like Jesus loves you and Jesus has loved me. Because I don't love myself perfectly. I condemn myself. I do a lot of stuff that would be unloving if I did it to somebody else or thought about somebody else the way I think about myself. God doesn't say anymore, love your neighbor as yourself. He says, love your neighbor as Jesus loved you. What are you willing to give up? to be an example of godliness to someone else? Are you willing to love them sacrificially, not concerned with what it costs you? That's that's how we change the world. Amen? We're to be an example in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith. That is faithfulness. So I spent a lot of time Telling people, come on, guys, let's go to let's get to church on Sunday. Invite somebody to church on Sunday. Sign up for a connect group. Make sure you show up at the make sure you show up at the outreach. Make sure you do this. Make sure you do that. Do you know why I do that? Well, let me tell you. Let me tell you why I don't do that. I don't do that so that this house will be full. I do that so that you might prove your faithfulness. Because faithfulness is all that you've got. Let me explain what I mean. How many of you think we have it within ourselves the ability to grow the church? We don't. What about get people saved? We don't. What about provoke people to baptism? We don't. What about increasing our budget? We don't. Those are all supernatural works that happen as a result of our faithfulness to abide in Christ Jesus. He says, be an example in faith. Be example in your faithfulness so that while you're faithful, God may show himself and produce fruit in and through you. I can prove that. Listen here. John 15, 4 says, Abide in me, and I in you. This is Jesus talking. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself, do you know you can't bear fruit of yourself unless it abides in the vine? So neither can you unless you abide in me. You can't produce anything except out of faithfulness. Everything else is a supernatural work. Guys, I need y'all to get a hold of that. Are you still responsible? Should you still show up for connect groups? Should you still invite people to church? Yes, those are issues of faithfulness. But God grows his church. All we can do is be faithful to it. Young people, think about that when you're in your workplaces. Think about that when you're in your school. Be faithful to the God that saved you so that others may know the salvation you know. 
and the church may grow. Don't you know? Howdy ho. There's like three rhymes in there, so I figured I'd add a couple extra. Then finally, he says, be an example in purity. You know what that is? Sexual purity. Nothing will destroy a young life faster than youthful passion. He's saying, previously, discipline yourself for godliness which means that we have to walk in purity in every single way, which bringing it back to the front only happens as we understand the word and build and lay our life on false or on true doctrine. Amen. This is what God has called you to. I'm speaking specifically to the young, but can I say it's, it's attributable to everyone. It's everyone's responsibility to be all of these things. But this next generation is never going to succeed if they can't grab a hold of this truth. You need this in your life. I feel like I'm up here selling a sham while, but I'm not. I'm just telling you, this is important to you. Some of y'all wondering what a sham while is, right? Yeah, never mind. Carry on. You just need this in your life, all right? And so I charge you, young people, don't let them frustrate you because you're young or critique you because you're young or tell you you're not capable because you're young. But instead, show them that your youthfulness doesn't matter, that the same Spirit of God that lives in them lives in you. And if they're capable, you're capable. And because you're capable, you should. You want to know why we had Youth Serve Sunday? To show you that you could. Because we need you. You're the only thing. These babies right here are the only thing that will be here after I'm gone. And if we don't build a legacy in them, they're going to have a hard time building a legacy in someone else. And for me and my house, I'm going to do everything I can to sit around that campfire make sure that young warrior right there, that young warrior right there is equipped to do what that young warrior is supposed to do. Amen? 